Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. During the last several weeks, I've been talking about Satipatthana and related subjects. I thought it was about time I provide a concrete example of what performing one of the 21 exercises in the Satipatthana Sutta actually looks like in practice. For this, I've chosen one of my favorites, the body part exercise. The instructions for this exercise go like this. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews the same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin as full of many kinds of impurity, thus... In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. That is the basic exercise. The Buddha adds a simile, which we'll put aside for now. I will work from the inside out, starting with this instruction. Of course, the Satipatthana practice embeds this exercise into a bigger structure with prerequisites of being ardent, comprehended, proficient, and putting away covetousness and grief for the world, and sitting in meditation posture, bringing samadhi to bear examining internally and externally, and looking at impermanence. But anyone can at least begin the exercise itself without knowing all these things, or even having a meditation practice. It's simple. Notice that he begins a bhikkhu. That's you. He happened to be talking to a group of monks. A bhikkhu reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin. All of these exercises are contemplations. The Pali Anupasana translates as watching. In this case, we are watching something we, for the most part, imagine in our own head, although the outer layer is available to the senses and the movements and other sensations of internal organs may be felt, certainly the in and out breaths of the lungs. This exercise is a form of body scan. The Buddha then gives us a list of 31 body parts. You can remember the list and imagine each part, which will require above-average knowledge of anatomy, or one can follow the gist. It helps me to divide the list into four layers, and notice that we begin with the outer layer of the body and work our way in. The first layer is head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin. 
These are all visible from the outside. I like to add eyes, kind of an obvious omission. You might even add the tongue. The next layer is the skeletal muscular system. Flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow. These are tightly integrated and give the body its form. You can scan through the various joints, ribs, and so on. Imagine how the muscles connect to them and allow movement. Next, we fill the internal organs into the belly and into the chest area. Kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach. There are more that you could add. An obvious omission is the brain, which was added in the later tradition to give us 32 body parts. Finally, there are all the fluids and things that ooze throughout the body. Feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. You can scan through the various body parts or jump from one to another or picture the various systems or layers as holes. For instance, start at the mouth and proceed through the whole digestive tract and out the other end. Try to keep the mind engaged and undistracted as you perform this contemplation. If it seems productive, do this exercise repeatedly over a number of days before placing it into the wider Satipatthana context. Let me add a couple of other things to consider as you contemplate the body parts, which point to the wider context. First, consider the impermanence of each part. The fluids and oozing things are obvious, but skin flakes off. You have to cut your nails. Your teeth have probably been worked on, some even pulled. Your body is aging. The second is, ask yourself, where is the self in all of this? Anyone can do this exercise, even if ineptly. It might be difficult to remember which way to scan, and you might get easily lost and distracted and not remember where you left off. That's okay. Like anything, it goes more smoothly with practice. Experienced meditators or physicians in training might find it easier from the get-go. This brings us to the wider context of this practice. The first Satipatthana exercise gives us a hint about setting the context for this practice. Here, a bhikkhu gone to the forest, or to the root of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, set his body erect, proficiently attending to what is in front. Find a peaceful place where you can be alone and sit in some kind of lotus position. A chair is fine for those unused to sitting on the floor. Bring the relevant know-how to bear, in this case knowledge of anatomy, no matter how limited, along with some understanding of Dhamma teachings, especially of impermanence and non-self, no matter how limited, and certainly the instructions themselves for this exercise. Then, let your know-how or proficiency guide what you attend to. 
We attend to whatever is relevant to the know-how you bring to bear. Everything else is a distraction. The introduction to the Satipatthana Sutta provides some more context. A bhikkhu abides contemplating body and body ardent, clearly comprehending and proficient, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He also contemplates feelings and feelings, mind and mind, and dhammas and dhammas. But the body parts exercise is a matter of contemplating body and body. We will come around to what body and body means. For now, I want to focus on this phrase, ardent, clearly comprehending and proficient, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. This is fundamental. I've called this the Satipatthana method, pointed out in my previous talks that it constitutes a kind of skill of skillfulness, that it can be usefully employed in many kinds of expertise, martial arts, driving a car, playing the accordion, and that it is the principle underlying right proficiency, what others call right mindfulness which runs and circles around all of Buddhist wisdom and virtue practice. Ardency is putting our heart or energy into a practice, in the present case contemplating the body parts. Where does this ardency come from? I can ask you, why would you want to do something as silly and slimy as contemplating the body parts? probably because you've been told that insight meditation or vipassana is good for you and that the satipatthana is the early source given to us by the Buddha for these practices. Shohaku Okamura, a strong influence on my early Buddhist practice, once said, you have to have a lot of faith to do Zen meditation, otherwise you'd never do something so stupid. Ultimately, ardency for Buddhists comes from refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and this grows as the advice you get from these sources of wisdom establishes a good track record. Next, comprehension involves paying acute attention to the relevant details of the current practice situation, to the locations, shapes, and sometimes perceptual sensations of the body parts, for instance, following each movement of the lungs, the in and out breaths, the depth and smoothness of each breath, and so on. Proficiency is the know-how we bring to practice. This comes in many forms. The basic instructions are part of our proficiency, but everything we bring to the current practice from our possibly years of Buddhist practice and study are a part of our dharmic proficiency. Now, know-how, unlike know-what, is almost entirely silent, operating effortlessly below the radar. Once we learn to drive a car, for instance, we do it largely on autopilot. We don't have to think and deliberate unless something unusual happens on the road. When we walk, we aren't aware of what an intricate balancing act we're performing. Most of our many skills are almost entirely internalized to operate silent, quickly, and precisely 
and Buddhist proficiency is like that as well. For instance, since the body parts contemplation focuses on non-self and impermanence, our dharmic understanding of these concepts come to bear. But also the fruits of our ethical practice. In fact, advanced ethical practice is essential for fully comprehending non-self. For we must first habituate and internalize selflessness in our behavior before we can fully comprehend non-self. Of course, we might understand non-self intellectually just fine, but Satipatthana practice aims to make this understanding of our perceptual apparatus such that we have much trouble imagining a world that has a self in it. We cannot do that until we begin behaving as if there were no self. It is not so much that ethical practices are a prerequisite for Satipatthana wisdom practice. It's more that wisdom perfects virtue. Satipatthana practice puts the final touches on our cultivation of virtue. Proficiency also informs comprehension. It tells us what is relevant for attention in the current context. The goal of Satipatthana practice is to grow certain aspects of proficiency even further, and particularly below the radar, silently. Finally, having having put put away away covetousness and grief grief for the world means to be unhindered by worldly concerns, at least for the duration of practice. Separate yourself from your responsibilities, the bills to pay, the impending divorce, the oppressive situation at work, just for the time being. Going to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut helps create that separation. There is a kind of art in developing this state of mind which must be cultivated in any meditation practice, and this is also part of our proficiency. Having put away covetousness and grief for the world is actually the root of samadhi practice, that is, meditation per se, which is also integral to satipatthana practice. It represents the first stage of the narrowing of attention by withdrawing from worldly concerns. From this unhinderedness, the mind will become progressively one-centered, then silent, then equanimous. In short, there is a lot of punch behind our Satipatthana practice. For those starting out in Buddhist practice, that punch is not likely to be there. But that's okay. We develop and cultivate more punch as we go along. But Satipatthana practice does not occur in a vacuum. Many other Buddhist practices must be developed at the same time or prior to Satipatthana practice for it to be successful. Otherwise, it really will be kind of silly. However, with the backing of the full array of Buddhist practice, Satipatthana practice leads to knowledge and vision of things as they are. Yatabhuta jnana dasana, bringing us oh so close to full awakening. 
So how does the contemplation of body parts help us fully comprehend non-self and impermanence? For this, we need to fold the wisdom of the refrain into our body parts contemplation. Essentially, the same refrain follows each of the 21 exercises of the Satipatthana Sutta, providing additional instructions over and over. In In this this way, way, he he abides abides contemplating body and body internally, or he abides contemplating body and body externally, or he abides contemplating body and body both internally and externally. He abides contemplating in body the nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in body the nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in body the nature of both arising and vanishing. Recollection that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and proficiency. He abides independent. He doesn't cling to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating body in body. The practice described in this exercise per se prior to the refrain is in fact contemplating body in body internally. The practice of contemplating arising, vanishing, and both arising and vanishing is part of that internal analysis of impermanence. However, there are two bodies involved. That is why we can talk about body in body and about contemplating internally and externally. We have been examining the internal body so far. What is the external body? It is our conception of the body as a whole, that which is often equated with the self, the object of narratives about how tall, beautiful, healthy, athletic, well-dressed we are, for instance. The problem is that we presume that that body actually exists, and therefore the self exists. But it is a fabrication, perhaps convenient, but requiring a big dose of presumption. We cannot find it among the body parts, or in the breath, or in a decaying corpse, or anywhere else. We cannot even tell if it's impermanent or not, because it's fabricated. In fact, our presumption usually includes a presumption of relative permanence. This is the main point of the body part exercises and most of the other exercises of the Satipatthana Sutta. We can readily contemplate the external body. We just run through one of our narratives, but we cannot readily reconcile it with the body parts we've been contemplating for the last hour or for the last day after day. This is not an intellectual exercise. We gain a new way of perception through this practice, but we gain it silently. We end up experiencing bodies otherwise. The fabric of our experience changes, but we don't see it changing. We just keep contemplating the body parts and a range of other things. This is a natural process of skill acquisition. 
for human beings. This is why samadhi is an important part of this process. When we reach the second jhana, our minds become silent. This is noble silence. Thought and deliberation have stopped. We continue to perceive, not knowing how we are perceiving and unable to think about what we perceive. This is the closest we can get to where the changes are actually happening as we internalize non-self. We stick to the contemplative task and our experience of the world approaches ever nearer to knowledge and vision of how things are. Soon we see body parts without needing to presume that they belong to a self. In the end, there is nothing there to be attached to and to crave. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is s-i-t-a-g-u dot org c-i-n-t-i-t-a.